0: Thank you very much, Wiley, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad to see all of you this evening, and I hope our study will be good for all of you. As I look around, most of you were here last night. A few are here this evening who were not present last night, and uh, we just really don't have time to catch up. All of these uh, lessons uh, are correlated in some ways. And yet they're independent in other ways. And so it's just not going to be possible for us to review every night, Uh, given that we have four nights. uh, We probably should have a whole semester on Sunday and Wednesday to get it done. But uh, we'll do what we can to raise some issues and uh, point out some things that you need to know. We rightly say that the Bible is not a science book, but it does speak to creation, and what it does say about the earth is correct. The question, I suppose, that is raised is, can we believe in God in this age of science in which we live? And my answer to that, of course, is yes, we can. God speaks to us in two areas of testimony. One of those is His Word, obviously, and we're going to look at three or four passages of Scripture here in just a moment. And He speaks to us in His world. And the reason we say that, of course, is uh, with, a good cause. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, let me just uh, point you to three or four passages of Scripture, so you'll be very confident to look at these in the Scripture if someone says uh, something to you about it. In Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then in verse 3, I'm very interested here, where he says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That's an important passage of scripture right there. He goes on to say in verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So the question is vital to us concerning our eternal future. And I would simply say, you may have faith in God, or you may not. If you, ha- if you do not have faith in God, you have nowhere to go. You have no future. And no uh, uh, optimism uh, can be yours in your life. I'm not saying if it is not true, you should do that. I am saying, though, that that is the consequence. If you do believe in God, then he says, you have a future. You come to God And that is because, he says in verse 3, you believe that the worlds were framed by the word of God. In Genesis 1, that's the way the Bible begins, of course. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we're here tonight to talk about the uh, universe and uh, the cosmos in which we live, the, the world, as as we know it and as uh, we can observe it. He says in verse 2, The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And in verse 14, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and days and years. So, this text is very, very clearly telling us by prophecy in the pen, from the pen of Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, God's words in God's own word, telling us how this all began. In Romans uh, chapter 1, we referred to verse 20 last night, where Paul says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The day there are those who deny that God creates. Professing to be wise, he says in verse 22, they became fools. I have both uh, the privilege and the problem of working with educators, very highly educated educators, and I find that they are some of the most foolish people in the whole world. And what I would say to you young people is, not all of them. But many of them. And what I would say to you young people is, you're not obligated because somebody has a degree be, behind his name, some letters following his name. You know what that means? That means he went to school a long time. That's what it means. It doesn't necessarily mean he's that smart. So you uh, want to understand, as Paul says here, that these people who profess themselves to be wise in the world may be very foolish. Their presuppositions may be wrong. Uh, what they posit as uh, preambles to their philosophies may be wrong. And uh, so he says they became fools. They changed the glory. Now here's how they really became fools. As the Old Testament tells us that one who does not believe In God is foolish. So the New Testament says the same. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And so on. So you can read that passage and know how that it is not new today that people deny God uh, people refuse to believe that God is. Think that the world was made through natural circumstances, and so on. So we turn to Psalm 19 again, which tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. So, this that is made, that we see the the universe, the cosmos. All of this evidences God if we're willing to look at that evidence and believe in God. I would like to take you uh, to Acts chapter 14 for just a moment before we go on. Paul says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. They were making them gods, bringing God down to the level of human beings and making Paul and his associate uh, Barnabas, making them uh, gods, calling them gods. And he says, we are of the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, and so on. So, what Paul very clearly affirms, as all of these other biblical writers, is the creation of the world by God. You cannot claim to believe in the Bible. And not believe that God created all things. It is a position of faith, however. We believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Based on evidence that leads to our conclusions. Any position regarding the origin of man, is going to be a position of faith. And I will say that. Because we are all looking at the same evidence. As uh, Steve uh, pointed out a while ago from some of his readings, it is correct. We are all looking at the same evidence. And the question is, what conclusion will we draw? I uh, want you to note in several of these passages of Scripture that we have read this evening, there is this affirmation that God spoke all of this into existence. And the words of the original text in the book of Genesis in chapter 1 infer that all things were created from nothing. And I believe that very clearly in verse 6. The text says, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And he talks about that a little bit, and in verse 9 he says, he spoke, and it was done. There has been, uh, as some of you may know, over the last uh, uh, ten years, not quite that long maybe, a discussion going on among some of our brethren about the 24-hour day and whether all things were created in 24-hour days. And I suppose uh, what I would say about that, just on the record, for the record, is that it didn't take God 24 hours to do anything. I believe he did it on 24-hour days, but when he spoke it, it was done, and that was it. And that's pretty instantaneous. And so God created And he made the worlds, as is recorded, literally, in Genesis chapter 1. Now, there are some concepts that I'd like to uh, point you to, three of them that we'll look at in the next few minutes as we have uh, a little bit of time. And I'll try to illustrate each of these uh, with a a little different uh, approach probably on each, and you can think about it with me for the next few moments. You've got your biblical base now for your conviction about the universe. God made the heavens and the earth and God spoke and there was light. So we'll start from there. The universe was begun by sudden powerful energy. That's coming to be a standard accepted conclusion by everybody The universe was caused, some will say by energy, some will say by God, but the earth and the universe was caused. And everyone who is uh, related or or understands uh, modern science understands that the universe is very fine-tuned. And so I want to talk about those three points, uh, if I may, for just a little bit. So we can take a look at them. We talk about uh, cosmology sometimes. Cosmology is the study of the universe and how it uh, began. In uh, April of 2002, this has been almost five years now. and I guess it's been a little over five years now. Discover Magazine uh, placed on its cover a simple red sphere floating on a pure white background to represent the existence of matter before the universe came into existence. This red uh, sphere, the articles inside say, was smaller than a golf ball, just three-quarters of an inch in diameter, slightly larger than a marble. Now, this is a scientific magazine telling us all this. The headline read, Where Did Everything Come From? And inside the magazine, the scientists speculated that this red sphere, uh, much smaller than my fist here, represented the actual size of the entire universe just before it exploded in the Big Bang. Interesting, isn't it? Stephen Weinberg, a Nobel Prize winning physicist, in his book, The First Three Minutes, The First Three Minutes, says that in the beginning there was an explosion which occurred simultaneously everywhere, filling all space from the beginning with every particle of matter rushing apart from every other particle of matter. That's interesting, isn't it? The matter that rushed apart from the other matter, Weinberg said, consisted of elementary particles, neutrinos, and other subatomic particles that make up our world. Among those particles were photons. You know what a photo is. What That represents light. Photons make up light. Wayne uh, Weinberg said, the universe was filled with light. Well, these facts are accepted by most people. Evolutionists call it the Big Bang. Their position is that it simply exploded into existence by itself and that all of what is came from That little red ball. Our question is, is it reasonable to believe that the universe just exploded into existence from a small mass of eternal matter? We still haven't gotten to the question of origins when we deal with that. Was that explosion of an already existing marble of matter? And if so, where did the marble come from? How was all of that energy and all of that matter compacted? And where did that originate? What was the source of the energy in it that exploded everything in such a way that it increased infinitely in size? Well, the challenge of that question makes most scientists ultimately back up and say that the universe began spontaneously from nothing. Atheist Quentin Smith insists that the most reasonable belief is that we came from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. Now, let me ask you what you believe about that. Creationists, like ourselves, and as I've said in each of these lessons, I freely admit that I'm coming from a creationist position, that I believe in God. And I make no apologies for that. Creationists believe that the world came into existence suddenly from nothing. But it came by the design of an intelligent creator who could make it. That leads us to our uh, second proposition, I suppose, the universe was caused. Now, remember, those scientists in Discovery Magazine said that the photons showed light early on. Now, what the Bible says is, God spoke and the world became. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light, and there was light. The question, I suppose, is going to be, if it is determined that these scientists are correct, that it all became, came into being suddenly, and there was light, will they accept God's explanation of that? Because that's exactly what God says. They call it the Big Bang. We say God created it all. Now, let's talk a minute about it being caused. The universe was caused. It is understood that things don't just pop into existence. I don't think there's any scientist of any stripe that is going to say things just come into existence out of of nothing without a cause. Without there being some cause. If you heard a big bang outside your house tonight, which uh, your preacher is hearing almost every night uh, these days. If you don't know about that, ask Edwin. And uh, he'll uh, tell you about the noises outside his house in the last uh, week. He's going to say, what caused that? You hear a big bang outside. You're going to ask what caused that—a gun, a, a car backfiring, uh, a plane breaking the sound barrier, a Scud missile hit your garage. I don't know something. What caused the big bang outside? And and you wouldn't say that happened without a cause. Things don't happen scientifically without a cause. Linda doesn't worry about, while we're gone on this trip, uh, a horse suddenly coming into being and being on our bed, in our bedroom, when we get home and walk into the house. She doesn't expect that to happen. And I am glad to say I I don't either. We talk these days some the scientists do, about the column argument. And basically it says everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began, therefore the universe has a cause. So something had to cause this. What caused it? Well, the power of God is what we believe the evidence leads us to in terms of what caused this universe to come into existence. That's what Romans 1 verse 20 says. And the sheer size and complexity of all that we know in the universe and the cosmos that we live in argues cause. With the instruments that we have, we have come to have some idea of the massive size of this universe. And I wish I could... uh, uh, go into uh, some of that and explain much of it uh, to you. You know, of course, that the Milky Way galaxy in which we live is huge. There is, it is estimated there are 100 billion stars in this one galaxy. That's hard to get your mind around that. It is 100,000 light years in diameter, just the galaxy that we live in. A light year is the distance light light travels in a year. It's about 186,000 miles per second. Multiply that by 60 seconds per minute, 60 minutes per hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And a light year comes up to something like 588 with 15 zeros after it. Miles one light year. We're talking about 100,000 light years across our galaxy. That's a lot, isn't it? You talk about size. And there are over a trillion galaxies, we are told. Some of which are bigger than ours. And that doesn't count the space in between the galaxies. It's huge. Here's a picture of Earthrise that was taken by the astronauts going around the backside of the moon as they came out of that. Two of the astronauts on board came to believe in God. They said, later, because of this picture, seeing it. That's massive amount of matter, all that exploded out of a little marble, you know, a little red marble. Don't forget that. All that came from one little red marble. You see why I said last night, you don't have to accept every theory of anybody that has a Ph.D. behind his name. You, You just don't have to do that. And it is sometimes illogical to do that. Energy is the other part of that. Matter and energy. You know, we were talking a while ago. Are y'all following me? Y'all still with me? Everybody? Okay. Also, an incredible amount of energy in the cosmos. Our sun is typical of similar types of stars. Hydrogen atoms fuse together at high temperatures And they form helium and release energy. Inside the sun, this happens. Using up 564 million tons per second of hydrogen atoms. That amounts to 560 million tons of helium per second. Which makes energy, which amounts to 4 million tons of energy, per second. Now that just keeps on going and going. I, I don't think you'll remember those numbers. I don't remember those numbers after we start shaking hands after this is over tonight. But, but I'm telling you, that's a lot. And that's been going on as long as the earth has been here and there is still enough hydrogen atoms in all of this to last we are told, for millions of years. Now, how is that sustained? Let's go back to the Bible for a minute. How is this sustained? In Colossians chapter 1, at verse 16, Paul says, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Now, I said the Bible isn't a science book, but the Bible is trying to explain to us how this all came into existence. And it does it. By him all things were created, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Now listen, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The word consist means hold together. By him all things consist. Are held together. That's the same explanation made by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 in the very beginning of that book when he says that Christ is in the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. What is the power that brought all this into existence? The Bible says it's the word of God. And it says no man can come to God unless he believes that. Period. And what is it that holds all of this together? This this sun that we were talking about with all of that energy, all of it compacted, exerting itself, throwing off light, all of that, what holds that together and makes it work? The Word of God. That's what our Bible says. And that's what we believe. And we were talking a while ago about all these galaxies and all these stars. You know what Isaiah says about that? In verse 26 of chapter 40, he says that God calls all these stars by their names. However many galaxies there are, God's got every one of them identified. And he knows it. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the third of our ideas, and that is that the universe is fine-tuned. We could talk about every aspect of the universe, but let's focus on this cosmos, the realm of our existence, uh, in the time we've got left before they start ringing bells. Uh, You should, if you are interested in this, look at a book, Called The Privileged Planet by Guillermo Gonzalez and J.W. Richards. It's a newer book, 2004, but it talks about how perfectly fine-tuned this world is, and it is amazing. And I believe this speaks to the power of God because everything is just right on this planet for living things particularly for man. And nowhere else, nowhere else outside this world have we found that yet. I'm not saying that my faith would be destroyed if they found life somewhere else, but the kind of living organisms that we have on this world have not been found yet anywhere else. And much of the reason for that is the way this world is fine-tuned within the galaxy that we have. And that's what Gonzalez and Richards are telling us in their book. You young people have no need to fear investigating science. I want to tell you that. Be discriminating. Don't just accept anybody's assertions, but know the facts. And they're very interesting. We live in the proper type of galaxy first. Most galaxies will not support the kind of solar system that we have. And they tell me that the reason for that is that 80% of all galaxies are elliptical in their structure and therefore they're unsuited to be able to handle the atmosphere and the kind of life That we have. Only 1% of the galaxies are spiral galaxies that can support life. And only in certain places in our galaxy can life be supported because gravity and magnetism won't work for most of the other planets. The planet must be in position regarding the proper kind of sun or star that guides it. Earth has its proper place in this galaxy. Our planet Earth has the proper mass. If the planet is too heavy, the gravitational force becomes too strong and it won't work. Our planet Earth has the proper spin. If the rotation is different, All kinds of problems. It gets too hot on one side or too cold on the other side. The seas won't stay in their bounds. The tides don't work the same. Our planet has just the proper tilt. Winter and summer, based on that tilt, sun sits just right to the earth at all times. See why he calls it the privileged planet? Most of the land mass on earth is in the northern hemisphere. The majority of the water is in the southern hemisphere. That absorbs heat. Water absorbs heat. Collects heat and disperses it. All of this keeps the temperature in a very fine range on the earth. Now that becomes very complex. I'm not a scientist. I told you that last night. But I can understand what I'm talking about here that everything is situated right on this earth for life. The proper magnetic field, all the radiations coming in from outer space, the magnetic field, the atmosphere, disperse that for our life and the way that we live. And we're not beginning to touch the hem of the garment. I could talk to you about water for a minute. I think I have just about enough time to do that. You know, they're looking for water on Mars. Life is sustained by water. Water covers 70% of the earth's surface. Most plants and animals contain 60% water. Your blood is 83% water. All living things, completely and utterly, depend on water. And water has a unique structure, H2O, two hydrogens and an oxygen, arranged in a unique way. The angle of the molecule is 105 degrees. It has to be that in the water molecule. Because of that structure, water has properties that are different from all other substances. It is called a polar molecule because the lower end is negative because the oxygen attracts the electrons more. And the upper end is positive above the hydrogen molecules. Now, everything depends on this. The angle of the molecules, the particular molecules, that, and the atomic makeup of those molecules. All of that. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot more of that with you. I think that's probably most of what we can get right now on this. But what this is saying is that on our planet, that is essential. And the question is, did that just happen? Did that molecular structure, you see you look at a glass of water and you don't see all that. But the scientists see that. The biochemists see that. They understand how that is constructed and how it is made. And we could talk about a lot of other things, uh, too. Uh, water uniquely can exist in three states. Solid and liquid and gas. Life is primarily sustained by the liquid. And the liquid has to be between 0 and 100 degrees centigrade or 32 and 212 degrees Fahrenheit. It has to exist within all of that. And our environment, our cosmos that we know, is perfectly suited for our existence with this. Nowhere else have we found this. Anywhere else. It's amazing, isn't it? when you get into the nature of what we live in and the creation that exists around us. Michael Behe said, everywhere we look from macroscopic to microscopic, when looking by standard scientific rules, it looks like it was designed Robin Collins, who has degrees in physics, mathematics, and philosophy, has said, over the past 30 years or so, scientists have discovered that just about everything about the basic structure of the universe is balanced on a razor's edge for life to exist. The coincidences are far too fantastic to attribute this to mere chance or to claim that it needs no explanation. The dials are set too precisely to have been a random accident. You think about that. Think about the galaxy in which we are. Think about the world in which we live. The way it is created and the way it is made. The microscopic elements of it. And it's just unbelievable to think that that accidentally happened because one day all that energy just popped out of a little red marble that nobody knows where it came from. It just won't wash with me. And it's so much more believable to accept That there is an intelligent designer who created all of this, just like our Bible says.